1: Why shouldn't we allow all individuals to reach their peak physical performance through the use of scientific technology? Like, just think of it on a, on a moral level. I think of it as my body, my choice. No one should tell you what you can and cannot do with your body as long as you're an adult and you're not harming someone else.
2: Welcome to The Andy Rowe Show. Aaron D'Souza is the president of the Enhanced Games, a new version of the Olympics that will allow performance-enhancing drugs. D'Souza also led the litigation against Gawker media involving the wrestler Hulk Hogan, which resulted in one of the largest invasion of privacy judgments in history. And you're about to hear how he plans to disrupt the concept of sport as we know it. Hope you enjoy the episode. If you're a long-time listener, you might know that I've been drinking AG1 for a few years now. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I did it because it was a really easy habit to get into. But I could also feel the difference in my daily health and notice that I had more energy. Not only did I replace my multivitamin, but I love that every scoop also includes B vitamins for energy support and vitamin C and zinc to support my immune health. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com forward slash Andy Row. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Andy Row. Aaron, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about what it actually means the enhanced games. Because someone listening to this is straight away thinking we're just going to let them juice up. What does the enhanced games actually mean in a nutshell?
1: The, the enhanced games mean that science is set free. Science is a part of our life everywhere. From the fact that we're, you know, broadcasting to the entire world using podcasting technology to the medicines that we take, to the food we eat. Science is everywhere. But the IOC and the World Anti-Doping Authority have tried for 50 years now to prevent science and sport. And so let's see what science can do to make our lives better, stronger, and faster. How science can make us younger for longer. Elite sports shouldn't be the domain of just you know, those of, you know, teenagers and, and those in their 20s. I want to see athletes in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s competing alongside and, and winning because they can use scientific technology to really advance themselves. And a good example I always like to use is Robert F. Kennedy. He's running for president of the United States right now. He's roughly the same age as Joe Biden. He can do 12 pull-ups. Why? Uh, because he's taking TRT a banned performance-enhancing substance really? that would otherwise get him banned from international sports competition. Uh, yet Joe Biden, who is not using any performance enhancements, can hardly walk up a flight of stairs. And don't <laughs> we want a president the of the United States who is physically capable and up to the job, right? And age should not be a limiting factor, right? Health should be the limiting factor and science can unlock that potential.
2: Would it not just become a free-for-all where people were taking all sorts to, to compete and become faster?
1: No, because we're going to undertake pre-competition, full-system clinical screening. So if you take so much steroids that your heart enlarges and you're at risk of a cardiac event, you won't be able to compete. We will be the safest sporting event in history because we've actually thought about how to optimize for athlete safety, not around a, an arbitrary set of drug testing rules. 44% of elite track and field athletes admit to using banned performance-enhancing drugs, get caught. Drug testing is not about safety, it's about fairness. And we can create an environment that is safe for athletes and honest about the use of performance enhancements in sport.
2: 44%.
1: 44% in in peer-reviewed scientific literature um, admit to using banned performance enhancements.
2: That's almost half. That is mind-blowing.
1: And actually, if you think about it, that's of all athletes. Of medalists, it's probably even higher
2: and that's only the people that have admitted to it. Absolutely. Jesus.
1: And so if you think about it, if 44% of athletes are admitting to using banned performance enhancements, and at the same time we've seen a huge rise in the accessibility of information and products due to social media, it's going to be inevitable that one day performance enhancements will be allowed in sports. Inevitable. Inevitable.
2: How do you make that how do you make that jump from
1: because really? the science is getting better and better. Um, the, the scientists are ahead of the drug testers. So things like synthetic um, hormones metabolize so quickly out of the bloodstream that they're undetectable. And so this is one of the reasons why WADA has, has now come out with the idea of a biological passport for athletes. Because they can't actually test for the underlying drug. So they have to see changes in hormone levels over a period of time, which is much more imprecise science. And it's not just athletes taking uh, steroids and injecting themselves and getting caught very easily. The science has become so sophisticated that it's impossible to test for.
2: There's another thing about swimmers being asthmatic.
1: 25% of swimmers claim to be asthmatic versus 7% of the adult population. Why is there an epidemic of asthma among swimmers? It's because of what is called a therapeutic use exemption, a TUE. Um, If you are asthmatic, then you can use these high-powered... Um, uh, inhalable steroids to treat your asthma, increases your lung capacity uh, and so all these swimmers are claiming to be asthmatic, it's a complete joke, it's a farce
2: I remember when I was really unfit doing preseason for rugby and yeah, I'm asthmatic I'm asthmatic, give me one of the, uh, my brother was asthmatic and I'd just get on his inhaler knowing it's a steroid and your lungs just clear up, you've just got so much more to give when you go for a run it's mm-hmm. so
1: good Yeah, and Why shouldn't we allow all individuals to reach their peak physical performance through the use of scientific technology? Like, just think of it on a on a moral level. I think of it as my body, my choice. No one should tell you what you can and cannot do with your body as long as you're an adult and you're not harming someone else. And so ultimately, the real concern is, are athletes going to be safe in their exercise of this discretion? And drug testing clearly fails at that equation because the testing is never effective, right? If 44% of athletes admit to using banned performance enhancements and 1% are getting caught, that means 46% of athletes are using this in in a a black market environment. And so at the Enhanced Games, one of the core things we are doing is inventing a whole new method of athlete safety, which is pre-competition clinical screening. So our athletes will get echocardiograms. They will get blood blood work done. And we will see if they have any underlying health conditions. So we don't want an athlete to have a heart attack on international television. That would be terrible for us. Um, and it'd be terrible for the athlete, of course. And how do we prevent that? Well, we make sure that athletes aren't at risk of cardiac conditions. And we just make sure that they're safe and they're healthy. It's a full, full checkup and uh, certain biomarker ranges which determine whether or not an athlete is eligible for competition. And so that they know and this is, this is very simple to do. It's scientifically proven. And why do, doesn't the Olympics or any of the other sports federations do it? It's because it's expensive.
2: Is it? Is that why?
1: Yeah. It's a, normally just a cost barrier.
2: And would you still have to divulge what you take or not?
1: So there are some philosophical principles that are very important to us. One of which is my body, my choice. Individuals from free informed consent should make choices about their own body. And the second is medical privacy. No one should be obligated to disclose their health background to the public, right? I don't think anyone should have ever been forced to disclose their vaccination status publicly, and that was wrong. What, what Australia did to Novak Djokovic was absolutely wrong on every moral level. And so will athletes be required to disclose their enhancement regime publicly? Of course not. But they should feel very free to do so. Right, They may even get endorsements from pharmaceutical companies for doing so, but they would not be obligated to do so. All
2: right. Interesting. Let's wind the clock back because mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack and go into detail on this. So let's talk about first your background. Mm-hmm. When I done my research on you, the first name that popped up was Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about that experience and, and what was involved there.
1: So I was a 24-year-old first-year law student at Oxford University. I had done nothing with my life at this point in time except get admitted to one of the best universities in the world. It was my fifth day on campus. And Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal, came to give a speech on campus. And this is about uh, 15 years ago. So he was a notable but not supremely famous individual like he is now. And uh, I showed him around the campus, and we just started chatting. And I asked him, What's the biggest problem that you face, and what can I do to help you solve it? And he said, "You asked him that." Yeah, I asked him. This is a very standard question I ask people.
2: That's that's bold. That's that's bold. Of course,
1: that's I'm bold. a I'm a bold individual, as you can probably tell. And he said, "Oh, you know, there's this tabloid media outlet, and they're writing all this trash about me." And I said, "Oh, what is it called?" He said, "It's called Gawker." And I said, "Well, you're a billionaire. Why don't you just sue them?" And he said, "Oh, well, if I sue them, that will get more attention." And I said to him, "Well," why don't you engineer a proxy war? Probably lots of other people like you who have been offended by Gawker yet don't have the financial resources to sue them. Um, And why don't you just pay for someone's lawsuit? And he said, oh, I've never thought about that. I said, oh, you know, let me write you a paper. I'll write you a memo on on how to do this. And a few months later, he came back to, to Europe. We sat down, we had dinner. I presented him this game plan. And he said to me, how much and how long would it take to bankrupt Gawker? <laughs> and I said five years and ten million dollars, and that's exactly how long it took, and exactly how much it costs. And we won one of the largest invasion of privacy judgments in history. It was the uh, Hulk Hogan was uh, the proxy uh, that allowed us to to pursue this case. Uh, we won one hundred forty one million dollar judgment. It's the subject of the best selling book Conspiracy by Ryan Holiday, a Netflix documentary, and a forthcoming Hollywood movie.
2: That's epic. That's and and did you deal with Hulk Hogan personally on a personal level?
1: Yeah, many times, many times. And Hulk Hogan is the name of the character. His real name is Terry Balea. Terry was the perfect claimant for a case like this because it required so much courage to go through the brutal and very public battle mm. that was required to get to a judgment. So Gawker had received thousands of cease and desist notices from. Various people who were offended by their coverage, and of those thousands of letters from celebrities and billionaires and CEOs, not a single one ever went to trial. And why was that? Because most of those potential claimants did not have the courage to go through with the process. And so Terry Belea was a moderately courageous figure, but he himself looked up to the character of Hulk Hogan, a true American hero, and he really believed that Terry Belea, the the human could live up to this character that he played his entire life. And and that's why he had the courage to go through this long and brutal trial. And that's why we were successful in the
2: very end. Because they published a sex tape of Hulk Hogan, right? Is that what happened?
1: That's right. They published a sex tape of Terry having sex with his best friend's wife uh, while they were intoxicated and he was in a very depressive state. Um, And that was a gross invasion of privacy.
2: Yeah, that's a gross invasion of privacy.
1: Yeah, and it's not it's not journalism, right? There was no um, public interest whatsoever
2: in publishing that sex tape. Uh, that's the angle, is it?
1: That's that's the angle that won us the case.
2: That's the angle that won you one hundred and forty one million dollars. That's correct. Yes. Oh, holy shit! It's quite a simple angle to take. Like you, you see things quite simply that other people might see as like a, quite a hard thing to go through with, and and that's similar to the enhanced games because. Enhanced games, people have been talking about this idea for as long as I can remember. Why are we bothering with the Olympic games? Why don't we just get a games where we just juice people up or whatever it is and see what they're capable of? And no one's ever done it because it seems like a quite a tough thing to go through with. Tell me a little bit about the enhanced games and like how that's come about and why you think it could work.
1: On many levels, the entire Olympic apparatus is broken. Cities don't want to host the games anymore; they're too expensive. Athletes are getting financially exploited by the International Olympic Committee. Olympians earn nothing. It's shocking to see the level of poverty that from, they live in.
2: From the Olympic Committee, but they, some of them because some of them get grants from the actual their. Own- Virtually
1: nothing. So, right. um, you know, if you win a medal, you might get some money from your national Olympic Committee, right. but by and large. Um, your average team GB athlete exists on less than 30,000 pounds a year. Um, and I believe that excellence deserves to be rewarded. Yet rivers of gold are flowing into the Olympics. $8 billion in quadrennial television revenue. And not a cent is going to the athletes. Eight billion. Eight billion. And why is that? It's because they build a dozen stadiums and then they throw them away after two weeks.
2: Yeah. Like you look at places in in China or Athens, even, and some of those stadiums are just overgrown messes now.
1: Yeah. And and, and that's not the exception. That's the rule for the Olympics. It's just uh, wasteful infrastructural spending. Um, And then at the same time, there's this dishonesty. Right, and at the core of the dishonesty is that sport is "quote unquote" clean and natural, but that is, of course, not the case. Mm. And so, with all of this dysfunction, layers and layers upon, it's so obvious that there's opportunity for disruption here, right? Just think about, you know, I'm a I'm a technology entrepreneur. Think about Blockbuster Video or taxicabs. It used to be we stood in in the street trying to wave down a taxicab on a rainy day. And now we just have an app that brings it to us. The Olympics are the past, and the enhanced games are the future. And we're not just saying we're going to create the Olympics plus performance enhancements. We're going to reinvent it all from scratch. Focus on the sports that really matter, those that generate the most television social media impact. Cut out the sports that no one watches. No one's interested in badminton or biathlon. And focus on the ones that deliver television impact, focus on the athletes who have medal and world record potential, pay them well and create an environment that is economically sustainable and very, very scalable. And then who's going to want to watch the old slow Olympics when you can watch the fast, modern, enhanced games?
2: I quite like the Olympics. I, I will live in a naive world that pretends that they're all clean. And I, I kind of like that.
1: Well, what I always say is that everyone loves soccer, but they hate FIFA. Everyone loves the Olympics, but they hate the IOC. right? And so I'm not saying the Olympics are the problem. The Olympics are inspirational. Yeah. Right. But it's the IOC that is broken. The, the, the bureaucracy of the alphabet soup of the IOC, WADA, CAS, it goes on and on, um, who are these bureaucrats who are earning hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. The IOC president is literally living in a palace, flying around the world in private jets. Yet the athletes are earning nothing. And it's a system of exploitation. It is it is a financial apartheid that has been supervised and engineered by the IOC. And so the Olympics, I think, are very inspirational. But the IOC is one of the most broken organizations in the world. It's really only them and FIFA uh, competing for, for, for that crown.
2: Do you reckon that corrupt?
1: I don't reckon that they're corrupt. You, you, can, you can read court case after court case. Um, on the 21st of June this year, the Paris... Uh, 2024 Organizing Committee's headquarters was raided by the French police. Hardly even raids to mention in the international media because it happens all the time. Bribery scandal after bribery scandal going on uh, at the highest level of Olympic organizing. And it just seems like commonplace. We're just mm-hmm. used to it. But what's even worse is how taxpayers around the world have been hoodwinked by these bureaucrats to host the Olympic Games. And in you know, the case of the FIFA World Cup, these events, which are projected to be uh, low cost and, and, and have, leave a great legacy, never do. They always go over budget. The, the venues never get reused. And I'm glad that Daniel Andrews, the premier of my home state of Victoria in Australia, canceled the 2026 Commonwealth Games. It was originally budgeted at 1.5 to 2 billion and then ended up you know, looking like 7 billion and he just pulled the plug on it. And the same thing for the Brisbane uh, 2032 Olympics. It was sold to the Australian taxpayer. As being zero costs, cost neutral to the taxpayer, they didn't need any more infrastructure. It was claimed they didn't need any taxpayer subsidies, and the Australian government has already ponied up seven billion for that.
2: Jesus, it's a lie. It's all a lie. Where do you even start with that? Where how 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 is it even happening? Like why why do you think the IOC's been able to continue to do that?
1: Because they've created this amazing brand that inspires the world. That um allows them to basically sell it to the highest bidder, right? And often that highest bidder is a corrupt dictatorship like Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping who wants to raise their brand on a global level. I'm sure we will see in Olympic Games in Qatar or Saudi Arabia, countries with an abhorrent human rights record who don't care about the cost of the games. They just want to raise themselves up on the global scale. It's called sports washing.
2: sports washing. Yeah. Fucking hell, that's that's loose. That's like you kind of think, oh yeah, there's definitely corruption in every level of any organization, right? You kind of think that's probably the case, and yeah, it could be. It could be rugby. It could be football. It could be well, no,
1: but you're you're listing off not-for-profit sports federations. There is not corruption inside Formula One because Formula One is a for-profit listed corporation owned by Liberty Media. If the top executives at Formula One were corrupt, well, the the financial regulators, the SEC would indict them, and uh, shareholders would be unhappy. And so the problem about a not-for-profit sports federation is that if it becomes very profitable, the only way for the leaders to extract profits is through corruption. Unlike a for-profit sports federation like Formula One, where there are profits, you just pay the executives more money, you pay the athletes more money, and everyone's happy.
2: And is that the model that you guys will use then? Like the Formula One model that you'd have like franchises rather than countries competing against each other?
1: No, no, no. So number one, we're talking about a financial structure gotcha. for the games. Uh, and then we can talk about a competition structure. In terms of financial structure, we're a for-profit corporation. We're right. very proud of that. And that allows us to raise debt and equity from venture capitalists in particular to build the organization up. It allows us to share the profits with our athletes. So think about being an early employee at Facebook or Google. You know, guys who were, um, you know, custodians, cleaners in the office became multi-millionaires because they got stock option. And we can give part of our league ownership in our, in our federation to our athletes um, as a reward for their participation. And hopefully they'll become very rich in the success of what we are
2: doing. Right. Okay. And what if, you just mentioned Novak Djokovic. Would you have tennis at the enhanced games with people on that are juiced up?
1: Uh, in due course, we will. Uh, so initially at the first games, we're going to focus on five sports that generate the most television impact with the lowest infrastructural cost. So it's uh, track and field, swimming and diving, uh, gymnastics, weightlifting and combat sports. Those five sports can be delivered without building specialist stadiums, which are very expensive. Um, and have the maximum social media and television impact.
2: Combat sports is quite risky though, isn't it? Because you're going to have guys that are hitting with more power than's ever been seen before. That's your, you're really on the, on the frontier there, aren't you?
1: And just look at Connor McGregor, right? He's clearly using performance enhancements. He has opted out of the, uh, WADA testing pool.
2: I think he just opted back in. He
1: just opted back in. And what has he been doing for the last few months? I would surmise I won't make an accusation, but I would surmise that he's been using banned performance enhancing drugs.
2: He did look big. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Just
1: look at Tyson Fury this week. His nine week body transformation is pretty extreme for someone,
2: uh, just through diet and exercise alone. Do you reckon Tyson Fury could be taking performance enhancing drugs?
1: Uh, I I only have to look at the pictures and with my uninformed view, it, it would indicate to me that, uh, he, he possibly is. Really?
2: That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. He did get done, though. Remember mm-hmm. when he took the two years off and came back? So he, he's got he's got form in that area. After the Klitschko fight, he got yeah, yeah. tested positive, didn't he?
1: And, and, you know, one of the things that's so important to note is that because a performance enhancing substance is banned, doesn't make it illegal. If you walked into a Holland and Barrett or a GNC, of the goods on the shelf there would get you banned from Olympic competition. No. Absolutely. Like what? Oh, a a total hose. You pull up the water list of banned drugs. It goes on for pages and pages and pages. And the other reality is that performance-enhancing drugs are used all throughout our world. So think about bankers in the city of London, right? (laughs) You know, they're using Adderall. They're uh, using all sorts. They're using all sorts, but... Even so, classical orchestral musicians are using beta blockers to increase their focus, um, and this is a water-banned substance.
2: So you could use something like that if you were... I mean, they could smoke some marijuana and do target shooting if it increase their focus. Or
1: Absolutely, whatever. and marijuana is actually a great example of something that had been banned for so long, and then social... Uh, standards have changed and now has been removed from the banned drugs list. And so the question to ask is, why was marijuana considered a, a banned performance enhancement one day and then the next day it's not?
2: Why do you think that is? Uh,
1: it's really just because of social pressure. And the the list of banned drugs is not about safety. It's about the spirit of sports. That's the standard that WADA uses. I like that. Yeah. And so it's like, does the use of this substance changed the spirit of sport. That is not an objective test. That's purely subjective.
2: But I, I like the spirit of sport. That's, it feels like an even playing field. But then you've got to think, okay, I'm being naive here that it, it's not an even playing field, is it?
1: No. And of course the, what, what the spirit of sports means something different to you as it does to me. And okay. we should be focused on objective, verifiable standards rather than some subjective standards made up by a bunch of Swiss bureaucrats that's impossible to challenge by any athlete
2: you've got a rugby background, obviously you grew up in Australia, so you played rugby poorly. Um, <laughs> do you think that there's enhancements going on in rugby that are not out there in the open now? Do you think there's a lot of people cheating the system in that in that regard as well?
1: Uh, I think it's quite common place within rugby. Um, you know you just have to look at the size, the strengths, and the rates of recovery of these guys uh and and realize that this is not something that can easily be achieved naturally. So one figure that I'd point to is that between the ages of 18 and 35, 13.5% of men have tried anabolic steroids. 3% of British men are active users of anabolic steroids. So that's across the whole population. And if you look at the elite sport population, it's much, much higher than that.
2: It's just disappointing, isn't it? It's a disappointing to know that like that's going on, but it's not everyone's doing it, and then some people are doing it. And
1: Well, what, what's most disappointing is that these athletes are, are doing so in a very unsafe way, without clinical supervision. They're just reading stuff on bodybuilding.com, they're ordering steroids from Thailand, and they're just injecting themselves. And that's really dangerous, it's really unsafe. And by taking something, we can make a much safer, fairer, transparent, and honest environment that will fundamentally uplift humanity. The goal of the enhanced Games is to enhance humanity as a whole, not just athletes. So think of this like Formula One. When McLaren invests hundreds of millions of dollars to develop next-generation ceramic braking technology, within a few years, that technology gets diffused out to high-performance road cars, and then eventually to your everyday Honda Civic, right? Mm. The same thing is going to happen at the enhanced games. There will be an incentive to develop next-generation performance enhancements that make athletes faster and stronger. But then that technology will diffuse out into the wider world and have safe FDA-regulated technologies that make the wider population younger and stronger and faster and healthier for longer. And isn't that what we really want at the end of the day?
2: It's a good point. It's a good point. I guess the question there is like, are these athletes going to be guinea pigs in a way?
1: Well, these athletes are guinea pigs themselves at the moment. Right? They're they're injecting themselves without clinical supervision, without transparency, without data. So we are creating a much, much safer environment by making it open and, and honest and the ability to actually talk about this. You know, I'm I'm really the first person in the world who's advocated for the legalization and performance enhancements, despite the fact that millions of people are using them, right? And really, we're creating a movement here that will push for legalization.
2: Is there not a danger that it's going to encourage people to get into performance enhancing drugs at a younger age?
1: No. So you could say the same thing about cosmetic medicine in Hollywood, right? So young girls in particular see Kim Kardashian on Instagram and they say, oh, mom you know, I know I'm only 13 years old, but should I be using some Botox? And, well, first, that's ridiculous. Um, but then the second thing is cosmetic surgery, cosmetic enhancements are administered by doctors. They're clinically administered. So you just can't go and get them off the shelf. Mm. And so if a 13-year-old wants Botox, they'll go to the doctor and the doctor say, I'll never give that to you because it's not a recommended usage. And so clinical supervision is key for protection and that and good regulation is at the core of that
2: will each athlete you mentioned the tests that have to go through but are they how how does that work like because they don't have to disclose anything so how do they actually how do you make sure that they have those tests
1: oh it will be a requirement they'll come and get their pre-screening done by the enhanced games before they can come and compete so they'll have to show up and, and prove that they're healthy, right? And we want to make sure that they're healthy and they're armed with the full information that they need about their underlying health with a full system checkup.
2: And if they are they allocated a doctor or anything like that? Yeah, it will be allocated help? by us. And, and so they, because what I'm thinking is this could essentially be some sort of pharmaceutical arms race where you've got a pharmaceutical company essentially, as you said, sponsoring an athlete and that athlete's just getting used to become... Like a guinea pig, but also just seeing how far we can push that to beat the other pharmaceutical companies. So they're both pumping their athletes full of whatever they can and then saying it's safe.
1: Uh, no, but the, the safety standard is an objective one that's set by our, our scientific advisory board. So, you know, it would say things like, Oh, your heart cannot be enlarged. Right. And that's an objective test. There's a certain measurement scale that can be used. And so that would ensure that athletes are at low risk of. Um, you know, having a heart attack and making sure that the, all the key biomarkers are within acceptable, you know, scientifically acceptable ranges that are objectively verifiable.
2: Are you wanting non-enhanced athletes to compete at these games as well?
1: Absolutely. And that, that goes back to my body, my choice. I would love for natural athletes to come in and compete. You do not have to take performance enhancements to compete at the enhanced games. And it would be amazing to see Usain Bolt come in and say, hey, I'm a genetic freak. I've won the genetic lottery. I'm genetically privileged and I'm going to beat all you enhanced athletes and I'm going to stay as a natural athlete in the water testing pool. That's absolutely fine and it would make for great television. Team natural versus team enhanced. Let's see who can do better. Because ultimately, some human beings are genetically privileged. They've won the genetic lottery. They're taller, they're bigger, they're stronger. And why should they, for nothing that they've earned themselves be entitled to winning all the medals, getting all the glory. Shouldn't those of us who have not won the genetic lottery, the vast majority of human society, be allowed to level up using the best technology available?
2: I think it's just about finding who has won the genetic lottery, though, isn't it, sometimes? Like who who's the fastest guy on the planet, not who's the using the best pharmaceuticals on the planet?
1: Well, ultimately Pharmaceutical enhancements will only make a, a modest difference, right? It's one uh, ingredient in an entire recipe that makes a great athlete. You still need training, you need dedication, you need genetic advantage, and you need pharmaceutical uh, and uh, performance therapy regimes.
2: Yeah, you've got it. You've got to still be wanting to work hard.
1: Absolutely I mean, yeah. right. And 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 a lot of people have asked me, "Oh, will?" all the world records get broken at the enhanced games. I think they will, but the evidence will be, it won't be because of performance therapies. It will be because uh, more than anything, we will be paying the athletes. And the fact that athletes can make a good full-time living from being a pro athlete at the enhanced games means that they can focus full-time on their training and that financial stability will make the biggest difference because most elite Olympic-scale athletes live in some kind of a kind of abject poverty. They don't have the resources to train to their best. They're working other jobs. They're stressed. And this is limiting their athletic performance.
2: How are you going to pay the athletes? Where's this money coming from?
1: Like any technology startup, we're backed by the world's top venture capital firms.
2: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Are they already saying, yeah, we're in?
1: Uh, yes, we've signed definitive documentation and we're making an announcement first week of December about, um, who's come into the round. And I'm pleased to say it is a group of superstars. Several billionaires have come into the funding structure. Um, and this has become very real very quickly.
2: This is happening.
1: This is happening. Oh, Holy yeah. shit. Yeah.
2: That's crazy. And you've, did you say you've got some superstar athletes that are gonna?
1: We've, we've had over 400 athletes pre-register with us. And I think that number will only grow, including, Uh, some Olympic medalists, um, some current Team GB, Team Australia athletes, yeah.
2: Current GB and current Australian athletes have signed up to compete at the Enhanced Games.
1: They've expressed their interest to compete Uh at the Enhanced Games.
2: Anyone from New Zealand?
1: Oh, I don't know. I'd have to double-check my (laughs) database. New Zealand isn't quite the deep television market that uh, we aspire to. Rude. Uh, I love New Zealand on other levels, though.
2: (laughs) So... What is the long-term funding model? Cuz you mentioned you've got these guys that are signed up. What's the long-term hope?
1: Well, it's the revenue model uh, that underpins all sports. Ticket sales, television rights, sports betting, and in due course, drug discovery. Right, we have this wonderful pool of the highest performance athletes in the world and we'll study them and we'll try and figure out on a genetic, on an epigenetic, on a biomechanical level, what makes them extraordinary, and trying to distill that into new products. And think about something like a Zempic, or what's also known as Wagovi, the weight loss drug. Right. In just a year, it's gone from nothing to $100 billion in revenue. This one drug, which is a miracle weight loss drug, accounts for two-thirds of the economic growth of the country of Denmark. It's unbelievable. What?
2: Yes. A weight loss drug? accounts for two-thirds of the economic growth of Denmark.
1: That's right. One drug, one compound, because everyone in America wants to use it. And this is the miracle of science. And so within the genetics and the epigenetics of the world's best athletes is the secret sauce of that genetic lottery. And we should be able to distill that. Scientists should be able to distill that into a marketable product that generates revenue for that particular athlete and for our games and for our whole organization and our whole movement that inspires the world to be younger, faster, and stronger for longer. And I fundamentally believe that aging is a disease that we can treat, cure,
2: and eventually solve. That's exciting. That's the appeal, I think, because every single person wants to live for longer.
1: And, and, and not just that we want to live for longer. It's that we want to live healthier lives. A
2: higher quality and, of life. Yeah.
1: And, and particularly in the West where we have an aging population problem. Right. We invest 30 years, government invests 30 years to train our citizens up and then they work for 20 or 30 years and then they retire for 20 or 30 years. And if technology and science can just improve our health spans, just adding another three, five years, uh, onto that productive part of life, then suddenly we will fix our NHS problem. We will fix our pension problem. We'll fix our economic productivity problem that is plaguing the West because Presently, there is no solution for the aging demographics of our society except excess immigration. I think we're going to build one of the biggest companies in the world. The Olympics generate $8 billion in revenue, and if they were a privately held business, they would probably be worth about $100 billion. They are so poorly run. They're run by a bunch of corrupt Swiss bureaucrats um, who, have ex- who have engineered a system of financial exploitation. And so we create a better system that rewards athletes, that makes them famous, that makes them celebrities. That's all marketing for us and it's growth. Layer on top of that, the opportunity to unlock a whole new revenue stream of pharma advertising uh, and create the potential to create new scientific compounds and therapies that fundamentally advance humanity. It could be one of the largest businesses in the world. I can see it. I can see the vision.
2: I can see it. Who's your key demographic that you're going after? Because I don't see initially that this is like a family event to sit down and watch in the beginning. I don't feel like the families, like like the kind of like the UFC, right? It feels a little bit more like
1: UFC is a a $30 billion publicly listed company now. Right. And let's note UFC was banned. Cage fighting was banned in most U S States until UFC came along and reformed the laws. And today UFC is more important than boxing or pro wrestling. Um, and is an extraordinary business. And Dana White has his power slap league, which, uh, you know, if you want to talk about something that's family unfriendly, but it's, it's still wildly popular.
2: Mate, that's unfriendly with my eyes. I hate, like, seeing that, I, it comes up on my TikTok, and I'm like, nah, what? And it,
1: in, according to some metrics, it's the number one sport on TikTok. I
2: can, I can see how it could be, because it's so quick. It's so, like, it's t- so TikTok-friendly. It's
1: designed for the social media era, and that's one of the core principles about, about our event design is not designing our event for... A legacy linear television world, but for a social media TikTok-first world. And so we're probably not going to have the 5,000, the 10,000-meter run because that doesn't work in a TikTok format. Of course, mm. right we're have the high jump, the long jump, the sprinting categories, you know, the, the attractive, sexy sports like gymnastics. But, you know, the 10,000-meter, no one watches that. I
2: watched that. You do the whole thing. <laughs> I love the 10,000-meter. <laughs> But I get it. I get it. Like I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to the Olympics. I, I do I do love some of those events that you know that no one's watching. How often is this going to be? Because no one, watches, no one watches any of the Olympic Games stuff in between the Olympics.
1: That's right. And so one of the core problems for athletes is the Olympics are every four years. And we live in a world of ever shorter attention spans. So athletes don't have the opportunity to build up a brand. Um, and you're a smart guy. Can you name the best gymnast, swimmer, and track and field athlete in the world today?
2: I could name you Noah Lyles,
1: great fastest well, man in the world. And the reality is that most people cannot name even one person in those three categories uh, outside of a short Olympic window every four years. So our games will be run every year, and I hope that in due course we'll be running them even more frequently and become like Formula One with an international qualifier circuit leading up to you know a global mega event once a year
2: with the athletes that you're trying to get to come in the ones that expressed interest that we talked about before are you actively sort of targeting guys and girls that have competed at the olympics that have almost got gold medals or cuz obviously if i if i spend my whole life trying to get a gold medal and i get a silver or i come fourth i don't get anything then that's probably where I feel like it might appeal to me to make the most of those years that I've spent.
1: having talked to many a gold medalist, what they learned is all that shines is not gold because you can give 20 years of your life to get that gold medal and then you realize there isn't a Nike sponsorship on the other side of a Javelin gold medal. There isn't millions of dollars in endorsements. It's not a route to financial security. And so, you know, most people who win an Olympic gold medal are not sponsored by Nike, right? They're not raking in millions of dollars. They're sponsored by their local hardware store in Wichita, Kansas. And so the opportunity to come in into a league where they are paid, where there's millions of dollars in prize money, maybe even tens of millions for breaking world records is very, very compelling.
2: I want to also talk about trans athletes. Yes. How does that fit in with your enhanced games?
1: So I'll use my words very precisely here, because as a gay man myself, a member of the LGBT community, I understand the sensitivities of this issue. So the standard critique is that biological men who transition to become women have an insurmountable physical advantage over cis or biological women. And I accept that as true. The question to ask, or more precisely, is that trans people use a tremendous amount of otherwise illegal hormones to transition themselves between genders. And so if they were not trans, they would be otherwise banned from sporting competition. And so the real question is, is that all trans athletes are enhanced by definition. Therefore, could an enhanced woman compete against a trans athlete? And that changes the whole paradigm because trans athletes can use science to change themselves. So female athletes should be able to use science to change themselves too and create a more level and equal playing field.
2: Oh, that's getting messy though. That is getting messy. That's when you start needing categories, but then do we need categories because everyone's...
1: No one likes the categories, right? So, but, But this is actually right to the problem of the legacy sports federations. The IOC and the federations are stuck in the past. They're trying to maintain a rule set that was designed 100 years ago and is fixed and unchanged. Yet our society is changing. And so trans athletes is just one example where they are unable to adjust to the modern world. But things are going to get a lot more complex pretty quickly. Think about Elon Musk and his like Neuralink implants. Mm. So if you have a Neuralink implant in your brain, is that an enhancement? It's not a pharmacological enhancement, it's a mechanical enhancement. And so mm. we, we will certainly uh, support the full integration of engineered cybernetic enhancements, artificial intelligence into our game. So imagine how interesting it would be to be playing rugby and everyone's got a Neuralink implant, so the the team is talking to each other with real time AI decision support on on the field through Neuralink implants. Like that technology is fifteen to twenty years away,
2: and that's where you want to go with this. Absolutely. Like, so so it's not just enhancements with PDS; it's also enhancements technology wise. You could be playing against robots.
1: Yes. And so uh, numerous robotics companies have approached us about wanting to compete at the games. They say, oh, can I build a robot to compete at the games? And I said, well, you can't build a car to run the 100 meter. It has to be a bipedal robot that's the same form factor as a human being, less than 100 kilograms, less than six foot three. It's got two arms, two legs, and it has to have the AI capability to go from the dressing room all the way to the metal stand on its own. And if you can build that robot, we would allow them to compete. Now, it would be in a different category: men, women, robots.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that because otherwise you were going to get to the point where, eventually, those robots would be faster than humans, and then you wouldn't have humans. Well, competing. you know,
1: the, the the reality is that the human body is actually quite extraordinary. So the current technology of robots um, could barely run an eleven or twelve second hundred meter, but they're n- nowhere near capable of doing the pommel horse or the long jump or the marathon, like. Humans are actually beautifully engineered. And the way I think of this is when IBM's Deep Blue in 1997 defeated world chess champion Gary Kasparov, mm-hmm. right? And that said so much about the progress of technology and the place of humanity and technology. And so imagine the future of sports where we have robots that may have the brain clone from Ronaldo playing football. Wouldn't that be kind of interesting?
2: That would be very interesting.
1: And so we as a league want to constantly reinvent ourselves. We want to respond to social, technological, political changes that keep our event fresh. And that's the problem about the Olympics. The format's been the same for 100 years and Mm. it's
2: boring. It's the problem, but it's also the appeal in many ways, though, isn't it? As well, because people are familiar with it. They're sitting down to watch the Olympics that they watched as a child with their grandparents or something like that. So there, there is an appeal of it being old. <laughs>
1: there, that. there is an appeal of it. And I, the way I analogize it, it's like the Olympics are like the opera. The opera is always the same. It's kind of stiff and it's formal. It's very expensive to go, go to. Old people like it. It has this nostalgia about it. And we're like a rock concert. We're like you too. Every time they do a tour, it's something different. And now they're at the Sevier in Las Vegas using new technology to reinvent that experience. And we want to be like a rock concert and always innovating. You know, we're both concerts, the opera and the rock concert, but it's a totally different format. And one is flexible and one is
2: rigid. So as far as like, I mean, you mentioned the billionaires that have got involved. I'm assuming you're going to want to get sponsors as well that, that want to align themselves with athletes. You know, if, if you've got someone like Usain Bolt, for example. Do, Love, do you know
1: what the largest, sponsor, um, the largest advertiser on U.S. television is? I'm going to go with Coca-Cola. No, it's pharmaceutical companies. Is it? Yeah, pharmaceutical companies account for 16% of all television advertising in the United States. Pharma's overall ad spend is greater at $26 billion than the combined ad revenue of the big four television networks put together. And pharma has no effective brand activation in sports. This pharma science is excluded from sports. And so it wouldn't have been so interesting to have at the Tokyo Olympics, uh, team AstraZeneca versus team Pfizer versus team unvaccinated.
2: <laughs> Imagine it though. Imagine like you just pharmaceutical companies like competing against each other with athletes at the at front and center.
1: Well, we're doing this already, right? Absolutely, right? Where, Athletes are medicated to one respect or another like we are all in our society. And so let's just be open and honest about it.
2: What about how you encourage some countries to get involved in this? Because some some performance enhancing drugs that you can buy over the counter are illegal in some countries. So, mm-hmm. so some countries athletes won't be able to take part, I'm assuming. How does that work?
1: Um, well, let's return to a point I made earlier. What the Olympics love to do is convolute a water-banned substance with illegal. Not everything that water bans is illegal, and not everything that is illegal is banned by water. And so the reality is that things like anabolic steroids are legal in 26 countries, um, including Portugal, Spain, the Netherlands, and athletes can choose to put into their bodies what they wish. We will not police that. It's up to them to make a determination about their national laws But again, um, national governments aren't in control of uh, selecting their national sports teams. Those are presently national Olympic committees. Mm. So we are going to welcome athletes from all over the world. We're not going to involve the legacy sports federations or the legacy national Olympic committees in in the slightest. We don't need them. They are a useless layer of blood-sucking bureaucracy that just wastes money. Look at the Rugby Federation in Australia. It's a joke.
2: It is a joke.
1: It, you know. And, and these bureaucrats are being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and are just extracting money that should otherwise be used to promote the sport and making terrible decisions at the same time.
2: But surely you're wanting to make a whole lot of money from this as well.
1: I'm only going to make money if the athletes make money and my shareholders make money. Right. If I wanted to have a nice life of just making money, I would do what I've been doing for the last 20 years. I would be a venture capitalist. I'd be sitting at my desk. No one would know who I am. No one would care what I'm doing, right? I would just be investing in technology startups like I've been doing for 20 years. Instead, I've decided to solve one of the greatest problems that exists in the world, which is the exploitation of athletes and taxpayers by the International Olympic Committee. It is a broken system, and someone has to come along and fix it.
2: How has the establishment reacted to what you want to do?
1: They've reacted in the same predictable way that the establishment always does. They said, oh, you're a joke. No one would ever take this seriously. No one would financially back this. No sponsors would come on board. Right? This is exactly what the taxis said about Uber. Right? This is what Blockbuster Video said about Netflix. Right? They didn't understand where technology was going, where the future was going. Right, and they just sat idly by while the world changed and they got destroyed. And it's the exact same thing. The Olympic committee was like, you know, they issue this this is a complete joke, it's unbelievable, you can't it's not even worth a response. But you know what? Venture capitalists know that the future isn't a joke. The world changes and the VC startup world is at the center of that.
2: What's the plan moving forward now? Like what what's the timeline of when we're gonna see the enhanced games and, and and what does that look like as far as like what we will see
1: so uh there there are some things i can tell you and some things i can't tell you uh so first week in december we'll be announcing who our funders are uh and that will uh, go around the world like lightning so uh look forward to that opportunity to come back on the podcast and discuss that with you again. absolutely um and then in april of next year we'll be announcing probably the biggest change in the history of sports. And I can't tell you what it
2: is now. That that sounds like hyperbole. Like, what? Give me, give me a clue.
1: Um, it's hard to give a clue, but you'll uh, you'll just have to wait and listen in April of next year. There will be a major announcement, and then um, you know, at the Paris Olympics, we see this as an important platform to illustrate the validity of what we are doing. I am sure there will be dozens of athletes, maybe even hundreds, who will get disqualified uh, by the World Anti-Doping Authority, who will be there to support protect and encourage. And then after the Paris Olympics, we'll be going into what we call open qualification. So to compete at the Olympics, you have to be a good athlete and you have to be a good politician. So you have to navigate the complex bureaucracy of your sports federation and national Olympic committee. This is very different. If you want to run the 100 meters at the Enhanced Games, all you'll have to do is upload a video of yourself to your social media channels running on a treadmill at the gym. If you run a good time, then we'll send you 500 bucks to come to a regional qualifying event and prove that you can do that in real life. You do it in real life, you qualify, bang, you're on a
2: contract. That's pretty accessible.
1: We want to make this as accessible as possible. We draw inspiration from the CrossFit Games and the model that they've brought.
2: Oh, they so, do it online, don't they? Yeah. You, you, for a start, and then you get invited to the regionals. And 380,000
1: people make video submissions for the CrossFit Games, even though The exercises that they do are actually quite complex and hard to film. We want to make it so easy that anyone could take
0: an iPhone, put it on a tripod. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: And in less than a minute, film themselves at a gym, uh, doing the necessary workout routine to prove that they are qualified for regionals.
2: Is there pressure to actually break the 100-meter record on the first enhancement games? Because that seems to be what this is all about you know, breaking world records. And yes. if you don't, it's almost like, wah, wah. Uh,
1: Well, I, I'm certain that we will break many world records at the first Enhanced Games, in part because I've spoken to many athletes. I've seen videos of them breaking world records in their, in their basement, um, particularly in weightlifting. And uh, by openly unlocking the potential of sport uh, and science, uh, I'm certain that we will break those world records. And who's going to want to watch the old slow
2: Olympics when you can watch the Fast, Modern and Enhanced Games? Well, Aaron, thank you very much for coming on the show. Where can people find out more about what the Enhanced Games is about?
1: Uh, you can go to enhance.org or look us up on Twitter, enhance underscore games.
2: Thank you very much for listening. It takes it makes a massive effort uh, when you do give the show a five-star rating or review. So please do get involved and make sure you hit the follow button as well.